That's a groovy button. What does it say? The button says, I'll talk, you listen. All right, Professor, make with the new episode number. Uh, 127 green plaid. We had this discussion last time, Professor. Don't make me push you back in a Kirshner. Not the Kirshner. Not, not that. Uh, this, this is episode five. Much better, Professor. Much better. Do I get a cookie? No. <laughs> And with that familiar tune, welcome to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast, Episode 5. Isn't it amazing? Because it seems like only yesterday we were doing Episode 4. I mean, really. And this is the first of three very special Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcasts. The first three of what we hope will be many to come. Three is a magic number. Oh, we're going to do that again? No, no, no. No more conjunction junction. No more naughty, nasty, mean old number nine. None of that stuff. The orange pills this morning and the green liquid (laughs) and all the colors I'm seeing now. I can remember episode three so vividly in my mind. The colors, man. The colors. I got to lay down. I want to... Wait, what, what makes these episodes, this episode and the concurrent episode so special? Well, it's nice that we had we managed to resurrect Philo and Lester Cram to do that promo promo commercial for us. Those guys. I want to thank all the 510 people who have viewed it so far, and over the thousand plus people who've seen it. That was one of the funnest ones we've had yet. So, Alan is referring to the recent video. We also often do videos to hype these very episodes, and you're missing out if you're not seeing them on our Facebook page. But we did a video reviving the wonderful characters of. Lester Cram, that fame acclaimed film director who whose greatest claim to fame was I married a creature from out of town. You owe me about dollar fifty. Thank you. And his and his able sidekick nephew, Philo. And yes, it's been confirmed I am his nephew. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I, well, uh, Ancestry.com is getting back to me. Uh, the DNA tests are still out, but yes. I, I dug the glasses. Yeah, the, the sunglasses, that's pretty good for Dollar Tree. It's very good. Very creative. We had a lot of fun. But we want, that's, our, that, that's the most fun we've had yet, and we want to thank all of you. If you haven't checked it out, you need to go look at it because it announces the teaser we did a couple of weeks ago where you were busy in my back seat slurping on your soda. And, I didn't and, know we were filming. Yeah, all right. Well, that's all right. I, catch you, I love in, when I catch you blissfully unaware. It's in my rider that I get. So much iced tea per day, mm-hmm. the chocolate Klondike bars, yep. and of course the green-only M&Ms. There you go. Uh, I prefer the red ones myself, but uh, you know, reds. It works. Out. Do, it works for do the reds. Do the reds, man. Oh man, <laughs> you had to mention that. But we announced we have procured our first interview, and we spent ninety minutes with the amazing Coco Dolans. Who? Oh, yes, Mickey's. Yeah, you remember? No, it's not. Not Frankie Catalina. Mickey's sister, remember. Mickey's sister, sir. That's right. That's it. We, Coco was very generous with her time, and uh, we all bumbled through getting 16 different types of software up and running and the stars aligning, and our eyes just set a certain way, and everything worked out. So this very episode, you will hear part one of said interview with Mickey's sister, Coco Dolans. Absolutely. And we also have a great remix of... Look out, parentheses, here comes tomorrow. In parentheses. Now, is this the one? Did you incorporate the Peter speaking? This is the break. <laughs> Only dogs of a certain species can hear this timber of tone. No, um, I kept that out, but the organ from uh-huh. the TV-only version is back in there. Super. All right. Hand claps. We got extra guitar. It's lengthened. It's, uh, oh, sound effects. There's uh, 
I think I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich toward the end, and you can hear that, and it's all good. Everything's good. So we've got that to look forward to, plus our part one of our interview with Coco. Um, our topic for today is we got into this because we both agree that while we love Rhino and everything that they've done for the guys, there have been some one or two spelling errors, as we call, as they used to say. You know, just there's some lapses in judgment that we have talked about that we agree that they should have done differently. But some hiccups. Some hiccups, yes. But today we're going to go back to 1986. We're going to go back to the the Arista. So you almost got me saying Arista, but it's Arista Records. Uh, hastily, you say tomato. I say tomato. That's right. Potato, potato. Ah, let's call the whole thing. Up. Huntington uh, Hartford hates pickled, pickled herrings. I haven't heard that one in ages. I forgot about that one. That was from the chaperone. That's right. But um, oh, it's me you don't remember. That's right. We're going to talk about uh, the Arista uh, '86 uh, then and now. Uh, along with the three new cuts. When are we talking about it? Uh, we're talking about it right now, as a matter of fact. We're talking about then and now. We're talking about then and now, here and now. Okay, All then right. and now. Gotcha. What so, about uh, that was then, this is now? Uh, that was the single. Remember then. The, the, that was the single then. Yeah, that's right. Then was the single. Third base! Was, oh, yes. I don't know, third yeah. base! Okay. Who's on first? Third base. But, um, and you brought, to, you brought to light some things that I was not really aware of, because I didn't... I knew the story behind Davy's. I knew part of the story behind Davy's little, for lack of a better term, hissy fit about it. But uh, you did some research, uh, checked the, uh, checked that uh, reputable quotes. Uh, Eric Lefkowitz's book, uh, The Monkey's Tale, and uh, I always we we were all. I know one of the things we were always under the impression that Davy kind of balked at this because of the fact that it was basically just Peter and Mickey going into the studio, and recording over pre-recorded tracks just as they did for album one and two. 20 years earlier. Yeah. But you found out some other things. We did some, other, some of the other things were a, go a little bit deeper. So the floor and the forum are yours, Palamine. Thank you very much. No, digging into the many monkeys volumes, you know, Monkey Mania by Glenn A. Baker, Eric Lefkowitz, many revised volumes of uh, The Monkey's Tale, and of course... Let's do a shout out for Monkey's Live Almanac page. I'm telling you, those I some of the things that I've seen on that website just cannot be believed. They're that damn good. It's very good stuff, and uh, those banners are just so incredibly attractive. I don't know who designed those things, but man, they just put your eyes right out. Albigley.com, A-L-B-I-G-L-E-Y.com. Plug. But these books, um, what they do is they they present a interesting scenario. That Davy possibly, in 1986, could have still been smarting over his rejection from Bell Records about 10 years earlier. He had his solo career and his solo album on Bell. And he hated that because, I mean, it was just, because they basically just snowed him under. I mean, it was, as Davy says in interviews, it was all Bobby Sherman reject material. And by then, Bell was also putting their weight behind early 70s. The basic, no. The Partridge Family. Partridge Family, that's right. And Davey, of course. Hello, world, here's a song that was Of course, everybody's singing. Now, do the first season because come, uh, come on now and meet everybody. I like that one better than the. That's the one where they. Five of us and all. Mom working all day. Danny got Ruben's cell. That was the first season theme. That was the only one that I know of that had two different. Well, Chips was the same way. They had two or three different theme songs. But the Partridge family, they changed, they changed the lyrics. But you do the first season if you do that. Don't do the same. 
come on now and meet it. Uh, let's uh, come on, get happy. Yeah. May I speak, please? Okay, what was I talking about? We're talking about Bell um, Records. Bell Records. Yes, before they became Arista. Is that correct? Yes, Arista. Arista. Sounds like a bad cologne or something. Um, they, of course, had Davies. Uh, they put out Davies solo material in the 70s, his solo album, you know, Rainy Jane, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But Davy felt like he was underserved by the company and was kind of unceremoniously swept under the rug and subsequently dumped. A few years after that, they became, Bell became Arista. Arista. Mm-hmm. And let's go forward a decade or so. Well, it's 1986. And they say, guys, we need new material. Monkey Mania 2.0 has happened. Because if I remember right, while Arista didn't put out the first Monkeys, well, I don't know, they put out both of them because they had the greatest hits of the Monkeys and then more greatest yes. hits of the Monkeys. So Arista came out. All right, so Arista must have, li- Arista must, who's his name? Arista must have licensed that from Columbia because I don't think Arista is a Columbia subsidiary. No, you're correct. Okay. And we can't forget how when the Monkeys show was offered in mid seventies mid seventies syndications catching. Mm-hmm. That was all that was out there in record stores was that orange cover, Monkeys mm-hmm. Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. And that was Arista. 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 And then many years later it seems to me, but that's just my own upbringing, in eighty two they mm-hmm. had that awful more greatest hits when yeah, all with those the green, mono with the green, cuts yeah. and mm-hmm. pastel colored yep. uh tinted the light pastel green cover, yeah. Which was the thing in the eighties. Everything was kind of like colored that way for effect. But um Miami Vice Miami Vice yes. Yeah, it was right around the corner, yep. So they were already kind of in the groove, but meanwhile, a little company called Rhino about that same time, in fact eighty two Monkey Business. Monkey Business, and we refer to that As... on episode one or two we talked about that because yep. it had it had the picture disc. Right. It had the first liner notes of any substantial nature. Somebody, my gosh, there was someone else out there that knew about the monkeys. They mm-hmm. knew what a Davy Jones Slowey was. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of dirty. Give me a Davy Jones Slowey, baby. You know what I mean? It's nice to be with you. The Davy Jones Slowey gin, gin Fizz? Okay, never mind. Just call me Edith Sidebottom. <laughs> no, it was, you know, all that stuff was happening. So that could have been Davy's real concern at the, the time. burr under his saddle as it were to use a to use an, uh, a horse riding what are you Colonel Potter sheep yep horse feathers I could do my Alan Alda but it just means doing my Groucho Marx no don't do that <laughs> how the, that nurse got under my cot I'll never know um so I think that was part of the problem no and no, that, no you say, save the Groucho for Ron Mazur when we have him on eventually okay yes hint um that could have been it. I, I get the impression, too, Davey was maybe waving his arms going, guys, I've dealt with this label. Yes, I've got a personal bandana, but what a listen load of to bollocks. Me. All they want to do is make money because we're hot right now. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we saw the result of this whenever that was then. This is now was performed in the 86 through 89 tours. Mm-hmm. Davey would leave the stage and it would just be Mickey and Peter. And Peter yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why it's only Mickey and Peter in the famous video. That's right. Shot at Great Adventure. Oh, God, no, in please. New not Jersey. the Speedo moment. Not the Speedo moment. In New Jersey. Nurse, I, nurse, can you see that, Alan, please? I, I know all nurse. the girls out there love that video simply for that image of Peter and the Speedo. Yes, well, not no. just the girls, Alan. Maybe some of oh, us. Oh, Paul Lind, again. Are, are, are you going down there again? Maybe some of us have made 8 by 10 enlargements from that freeze frame. It's our business. He is, he is standing up. Boy, was he. <laughs> Circle gets the square. Oh, it's 19... Charlie, Charlie Weaver for the block, please. Oh, it's 1975, and we're home from school sick, watching Hollywood Squares. 
Um, but I no, I, no, I grew it. up near Great Adventure back in the day, and mm-hmm. where I first discovered the monkeys was a uh, um, in Burlington Township, New Jersey, not far from where Great Adventures would be. It wasn't even built yet by the time I moved in '75 mm-hmm. to this general area in the Carolinas. That's right. So you were but, saying, but yeah, I mean, they went in and they recorded all three songs, but. I understand that, but that's why the Daydream Believer remix was released to appease Davey to get him back on board, which I think Arista screwed up. Arista, now I can see Daydream Believer as the B side to Anytime, Anyplace, Anywhere, which should have been the second single. And, but I mean, if you look at it realistically, Daydream Believer at that time. Only there was not going to be worldwide reacceptance of that song, even with the updated uh, drum beat. Plus, didn't any new kids new to the Monkees? Didn't they just get that song on on the album? Right yeah. on the Then and Now compilation. Yeah, on, on album. The, so it's like, right. just are you doing is adding some drum beats? And now I remember it getting radio play. It did, but I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it, and, and but that's the only difference is an updated drum track. Right. And we read um, it kind of got stuck in, in the 70s on the charts. That's right. 78. 78 or something like yes. that. But RPM. When you, uh, you Play it at 78 RPM and hidden messages will be revealed. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> spam, 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 egg, bacon, spam. That's the backward message on that. And you're that's here, a Monty Python reference, yes. You hear unpleasant messages aimed at Don Kirshner. <laughs> don't make me... Don't make me put you back in the Kirshner, Professor. Not the Kirshner. All right. My legs still don't point the right way. But... I have I have honestly not seen the updated version of Lefkowitz's book because I've kind of lost a lot of I don't want to say res- I mean he he's he's a he's a he's the mosquito in the room that you can't kill I just I I mean for him to be the and sidebar for a second for him to be the one to start the Charlie Manson to the monkeys rumor yes. that was his fault and so even MTV blame him up on that and it's like but yeah. Yeah, I can see Martha Quinn talking about it. That's just, uh, but um, don't you just love the monkeys? Yeah, you found. Uh, he Sorry, wa- Fred Velez, I ripped your sh- your collectible shirt just to make a muscle shirt for me. <laughs> Remember that? Like Fred yes. said, half his collectibles came back mangled. I know, um, but you were reading in before we started today. You talked about there was actually uh, a second recording of any time, any place, anywhere. One of the books says there was a slightly up-tempo version re-recorded. That was going to be the second single. And I don't know if it was Davies complaining or protestations. I'm a Baptist myself. That nixed that in the bud, that nipped it in the bud and nixed it. But it never appeared and we got the remix of Daydream Believer with the now dated electronic drums. Which yeah. will be, we may be playing on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard it, for, stay tuned to your radio, kids. We'll have that latest 86 mix of the Monkees, Daydream Believer with a brand new drum beat, kicking it on the real Don Steel with a 96 KHJ. Sorry. <clears throat> Pause my little jingle. Bad album. jingle is going to be inserted right there. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting that they do that. And what's also interesting is that has not been included on many compilations. Maybe that's, maybe that's one of the ones that Andrew can't find because you know, a lot of the tapes may have been destroyed. Well, after hearing some of that stuff from the mid-80s, I might have been inclined to destroy them, too. But Well, no, Pooh is next episode. We're going to oh, talk Pooh oh. next episode. So. I, I, good thing I haven't eaten yet. I, I truly think that what Arista should have done was Arista should have released Anytime, Anyplace, Anywhere, because to me, 
that was a superior song to That Was Then, This Is Now. I, 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 I truly believe that in heart. And then put Daydream Believer as the, the 86 remix as the B-side of it. Because, I mean, Davey would have gotten what he wanted. He would have gotten the single out there. And But I understand it. I mean, it's like you don't want to go back to some place that's burned you before, especially the way Bell treated Davey. Uh, and... Bell should have Bell should have promoted it because Rainy Jane was a good single it was a good pop single and about the Venom Now LP I, I, you know I'm newly out of art school I'm back into the real world and my group's back together which was strange enough they're topping the charts which is strange enough they're the biggest concert attraction which was strange enough so you suddenly had all this product not just that album but the original albums were back out Yep. You know, instead of us having to go into record stores and get these imports or go haunt mm-hmm. old flea markets to get the original albums. The greatest tribute at that time that I can give to the guys is that all seven albums, including Changes, hit the top 100 album charts at the explosion of 2.0. And Rhino was already there giving us these things on cassette, which is laughable now, but to have these on cassette... Now for those of you kids who don't understand, a cassette is a little plastic piece about... Uh, three inches by two inches that has little skinny tape on it, and then you put it in this thing called a boom box. It was one of those things we carried on the shoulder. That's why so many people of what? the 80s are, are, are still so stoop-shouldered today. What? Because they carried those... What? Because they carried those big things on their shoulders. I used to They play, were the size of a Buick. I used to blast Run DMC and Tone Loke and all that stuff right on my shoulder. That's why my hearing... The doctor says, the doctor says I'm only 20% in this year from all the rap music I used to play on my shoulder with the boss. What? What? We used to rap on your head. Uh, what do you, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Al, let's bring it back, bring it back to the, oh, yes. uh, 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 come on. Yes. This and, is why we lose listeners, I think, sometimes. <laughs> Bite your tongue. This is how we gain listeners. Have you heard Gilbert's show? Um, okay, so it was interesting. We get this compilation album. And it did feel a little rushed. I remember also, for the first time, now by then, Rhino was giving us stuff on cassette, and they would sneak things in like a different mix of, say, Daily Nightly on... Or Star Collector. Right, on the cassette version. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be these treats. These weren't called bonus tracks yet. That wasn't happening yet. But on Then and Now, we had the um, fadeless version of Valerie. Mm-hmm. Which Where you got to hear the whole... You got to hear the whole... It ends Louis, in the cold Louis, ending. To, to Louis' guitar look at the end. Right. And I guess that was something of a treat. I've never liked that studio version of Valerie. It seems too overproduced and too many horns. I like the... Uh, okay. Yes. We're, we're going to go to town on the oh. Valerie, and I'll, I'll be back up on my feet in a future episode. Because okay. we're going we're gonna to go Ali Fraser on this. You, we have completely differing opinions on Cue this. Cue the, uh, the fight bells. Dun, 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 um, Do I have to go hit Big Slabs of Meat again to get in shape? Yo, yo, you have to do that this time, Ricky. We don't have to do that. Yo, yo, Adrian. So I got to do my Burgess Meredith. Get in there and fight, punk! Um, yeah, that's really good. Uh, Rich Little is just losing so much sleep. No, but it was a good little album. I like the three new songs. A lot of people don't like the Kicks remake. I, I kind of like that because it sounded 60s and garage and, well, somewhat. Well, I mean, with the, it, but you can tell it's an 80s version of it because of all the, the, the synth music. But I think of that, you gave, what was that, um, the monkey story that they did with uh, This Is Luther, whatever it is, and that was the out song that they played. Uh, you, you put it, it was, a, it was a hastily put together radio program in the late, eight, right, uh, as Monkey Mania 2.0 was taking off. 
Um, it wasn't Mother Earth. It was some some American. But this guy was a real Ron Radio High. This is this is whatever. And then Mickey Dolan signed the contract, and the three guys were back on the road. That's right. So these sidebars are incredibly funny. I mean, people have to understand how what kind of ADHD people we really are. Because that's right. That's right. But I like the three songs. I like that was then. This is now. It was a little lightweight. It was a little. It was a pop tune. One of the books said. It was good for the revival. It was good for a comeback hit. Not too challenging. Hummable. Poppy. It, was, it, had, a, it had a hook. That was then. Right. This is now. It hints at nostalgia with the theme of it, but not quite coming out and saying, you know, we should have stayed in the past. It's a good reintroduction. Yep. Um, it was, again, weird to be running around in life and hearing this come on the radio. Mm-hmm. As you're running to the local food store and you're seeing reprints of Monkey Spectacular mm-hmm. next to Time Magazine... The very same magazines you've been honing, you know, comic book conventions and mm-hmm. yard sales for, and thinking no one else can be into this stuff, and now the world is into it. But a very good album. For a, as a star, it, it's better than the two, the the greatest hits and the more of greatest hits. Indeed, much better. Plus, you got you got what am I doing hanging around? You got porpoise songs. That's right. And then you got the three new additional songs. Well, what am I doing hanging around is always one of my top three monkey songs of all time, period. And so. Valerie wasn't always included in Greatest Hits. That's right. Movies. That was a treat. And you always got the fade out, so. Yes. But all in all, People it always was, give me the fade out. All in, they see me coming. All in all, it was it was a good starter Greatest Hits package if you were just discovering the monkeys and Very weren't true. able to find the old stuff in your in your record store or the garage sales and that kind of thing, so. And it was the first Monkeys. It was the. It, it may have been the first Monkeys album available on CD, as well. I think you're right. Because I don't think they released. I think after Then and Now hit, Ariston went back and put Greatest Hits and More of on CD. But I think, I think right. Then and Now was the first true Monkeys album you could buy on CD. I remember for the next few Christmases up to '90 and that big box set coming out, I would ask for and get for Christmas presents, you know, Live '67. Um, mm-hmm. Missing Links 1 it was 2 out yet or 2 uh, was about to be out yeah because remember they had like 4 bonus tracks yeah and I had to go to a guy I worked with because he was he was wealthy and he had a CD player mm-hmm. and he could record and he would record these entire things so I had the bonus tracks I could listen yeah. to them on my Walkman mm-hmm. but I remember keeping them stored like one day I have a CD player and I'll, I'll bring these out and play mm-hmm. them and of course now we laugh at CD players but yeah true man it's still kind of like analog you can touch them, and, you know. <laughs> now one of the books has a rumor that if Davey had played ball by the end of that year, they would have had, they would have been signed to a label, and it would have been Arista, and we would have gotten, by the time Pullet came out, we would have had two or three albums by the mm-hmm. reformed group. Now, that would have been a little impossible with them touring the way they were, that ungodly tour schedule. Well, we probably would have gotten, we probably would have gotten a full-fledged live album, not one that says Dolan's Jones and Tour. And that's an amazing live album. I love it. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, they probably would have recorded it. For release prior to this, we wouldn't have had to. We wouldn't have to wait for that. But right. you know, but the tour schedule, yeah, it was grueling. I mean, two hundred plus dates. You know, it's a, it's mm. a wonder. It's a wonder Peter had any time to write MGBGT. Let alone <laughs> sing it. Yeah, let, uh, let alone drive the car. That's right. But uh, you know, I'm as I always tell you, I'm a firm believer in destiny, and that's just how it was meant to be. It was only it was only going to be to a certain point, and then of course it just like like a like a comet. It comes across the sky and it fades. It's just like a cyclical. Um, but it, like I say, then and now is a, was a very good starter, greatest hits for any new monkey fan. Even with the new pastel colored, black mm-hmm. and white tinted cover. Yep. 
I actually like that cover. They had a promotional poster hung on my wall for years. I've professionally framed, which is that mm-hmm. cover plus some uh, extra text to make it you yeah. know a vertical so. oriented poster. Now, one of the books posits if they had signed with a major label. Like Arista, or even Capital. Maybe Capital still would right. have had issues. Remember, because Capital, Capital was going to sign them, yeah. even without the TV show, which was strange because we know how they sounded as a, they we know how they sounded as a foursome back then at the beginning. And they would have had a certain British competitor on that same label. What were they called? Uh, the Ruddles, something no, like that. No, no, no. The Beetlebugs or the, the the Bugleys or something. And the man with the flaming pie said, "You're Beatles with an A," and we were. That's right. No more dirty jokes on stage," said Brian. Stop swearing on stage. It's about the show, boys. Put on a show. Um, no, but some and people the man said, with the, In our case, it's the man with the flaming Frodo said, your monkeys with two E's, and we were. <laughs> um, somebody said, we have gotten anything different from what we ended up getting from Rhino, who would come in the next year, a small, growing label, and they produced Pull It. I don't think that if they had been signed to Arista or another major label, I don't think we would have gotten the extra stuff that Rhino provided to us because that was Rhino's hook. We, yeah, yes, we're releasing this. Yes, we're releasing this album for the third time, but this is extra. And this is the extra special deluxe super edition where you have 28 seconds of uh, 28 seconds additional value where you don't have to listen to the fade in, that kind of thing. Right. You know, that was the hook that they got. And boy, did we <laughs> they reeled us in every time. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So there it is. It is what it is. Would it have helped if they had an album or two of original material before Pull It? Because Pull It came out in like mid-87. Because, and think about this. The only thing is if they'd been signed, you know what they should have done? If Nez had been really smart, Nez would have signed them to Pacific Arts. That, oh, could, yes. that, that could have been a possibility too. But I would think that if they had signed with, with Arista, Maybe Nez could have written. Some, maybe Nez could have contributed some new music to that, and Ray could have, even even if he hadn't sung on it, even if he hadn't played, you know, participated instrumentally or vocally, you you could have had you could have had the Four Monkeys reunion before eighty before the Greek Theater. But Pacific Arts was not much bigger than Arista. I mean, not much bigger than Rhino, Rhino then, and he was getting out of of record producing more into the video realm. Mm-hmm. But still have resources. But think about that. We could have, I mean, as much, you know, we, we could have had better music. We could have had music videos. And Mike could have done, he would have been pleased too because it would have had that feel of, isn't this kind of a little twist? The, mm-hmm. the, the very guy created by the monkeys to have a solo career is now in a way coming in. And helping and s- them, saving the monkeys. or, or Saving or, them artistically. Yeah. As they came back into the form. I mean, if you think about, think while heart and soul, well, we're getting getting ahead of ourselves. While while heart and soul was a very creative video, you imagine Mike putting the the comedic parts of elephant parts along with the creativity in Rio, bringing those together, working with the guys again, and he could have you know he could have popped in a cameo. I mean, we all forget that he executive produced all night long for Lionel Richie. Few other videos on. That's right. He did some things with Juice Newton. There's a name to conjure with from the past. Break it to. I'm oh, sorry. Juice Newton. Bad Allen. Um, but he could have been that the, alone. That alone, right there, just lost his 15 listeners. Yeah, the, they. I think someone uh, I read somewhere the um, the basics of podcasting never mentioned Juice Newton, and that's four times now, three times. <laughs> For anyone that's still left and still listening, God bless you. Um, Mike could have been the 
producer in that video that makes them wash dishes at the end. Boys, I got the perfect job for you. I like your style, boys. I get, you got a job. We, we got, got a, a job. job. Yeah, that would have been that would have been the perfect cameo. Yes, absolutely. So, so we said everything we need to say about our thoughts on the monkeys then and now. Mm-hmm. Very good. I like. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me. It, like, as I said, it was the perfect jumping off point for two point I agree. Hi, everybody. Again, this is The Real Don Steele with 96KHJ here to introduce Al Bigley's latest amazing monkeys remix of Look Out, quotation, or uh, parentheses, Here Comes Tomorrow. Take it away, Al. Talk about it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. This remix was done a few years ago, and I always loved, again, the two different versions Rhino has given us of this song. One includes the TV-only mix that has that wonderful organ portion when the bridge is reassumed and remounted. It's recalculated. Whatever. So I've included that. I've pumped up the bass. Pumped up the jams. Pump up the jam. Pump it. I'm sorry. Lengthen the song overall. There's some extra guitar you're here. You will hear. And just had fun with it. Some extra hand claps, some extra uh, extra sweetening, some extra percussion, some extra tambourine, some extra, say it with me now, what can every song use more of? Cowbell. Cowbell, baby. Where is that cowbell? I was just looking at it the other day. Um, so I just tried to make it into the song I'd want to hear, not really trying to update it, but just have and include all these different elements from different releases added in just one song. No no need to go to three other versions. It's all right here in one version. So here it is, Davy Jones with the monkeys with Look out, here comes tomorrow. You know what the funny thing about it? Mary. I, I used to love the end. Uh, Mary, I love you. Sandra, Sandra loves Mary. What can I do? It's the 90s. And the only one to swing both ways was Tarzan. And the crickets you now hear are pretty much the reaction that joke got every time Davey would mention the joke in the 80s, in the, the 90s, 90s, the 2000s. Somewhere right now, Davey is telling, trying that, to telling joke. that joke. Telling that joke while, hey, Dave, give us Daydream Believer. Give, give us a Daydream Believer, will you, mate? Oh, I 
There it is, ladies and gentlemen, Al Bigley's Look Out. Here comes tomorrow remix, right, with the real Don Steele on 96KHJ. You know, he's going to come back from the dead and sue us, or he's going to, he's, we're going to, if we get a cease and desist letter, it's going to be from him. I think he and Davey are looking down right now and just oh, shaking their heads. Good. Wondering where they went wrong. That's right. Now, on to the very special part. We've made you wait enough, and I appreciate you hanging out. You're listening to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, by the way. What I'm year a- is it? Is it still 2017? I am Alan Lister Cram Williams. And I am Al, his nephew, Bigley. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Wait, let me check again. Ancestry.com has yet to get back All to right. me. Um, as we stated before, a couple of the people that we're looking forward to interviewing down the road uh, are Paris Stocktieris, who we consider to be the godfather of monkey radio programs because of his contributions in the Monkey's Hour in the late 80s. Which is an actual radio show, not podcast, kids. Mm-hmm, that's right. He's like, what? Podcast? Don't, don't make me... Do- I, I don't want to do that lame line again from my the promo. My doctor put my leg in a podcast <laughs> once, back in 62. <laughs> I was in it for damn near a week. I couldn't dance. I couldn't chase the girls in the hospital. One nurse, Nurse uh, Mitchell, she'd come in every morning. I couldn't chase her. I had a leg in the cast. But oh my God, she'd come in with porridge and medicines and, and just, just, it was beautiful. And you, you believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, I wrote that commercial. I wrote that promo in like five minutes as we were sitting in a restaurant. And Al, Al could almost time me on that. But um, we're also going to be interviewing Fred Velez, who is a fan extraordinaire who has connections to Monkey Business Fanzine, the Bible of the '80s. Um, he is also. You, you didn't see, but Alan physically gestured to my <laughs> my comic book rack that's filled with all my back issues going back to the '70s. My mm-hmm. back issues of Monkey Business Fanzine. That's right. And I still have every one of them. Just try to take them from me. No thanks. Pry them from my cold, dead hands. (laughs) He's also written a book called A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, uh, The Monkeys from a Fan's Perspective. Very good book. And um, he's also, once we get a chance to talk to Fred, we're going to talk about what it was like to emcee the mid and late 80s conventions because Fred was the guy that you see in the YouTube clips that's trying to get everybody to calm down and settle down so Davey can come on stage and listen to everybody scream, so... Fred was the object of lots of ire and anger back then. Before we knew he was a lovable guy, he is. Just because he had to play that role of MC, and yeah, he had to be the bad cop for all of us to be able to enjoy these, these, those materials and those uh, appearances back then. Because I was there. I was there at the '86 Philadelphia convention, ladies and gentlemen. I was there. But out of the blue, as as we were getting ready to 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 work out the interviews for these, out of the blue. I got the response I was waiting for. Um, and she apologized for taking so long. But you mean Lester Crabtree got back to you? Yes, Lester Cram got back to me. Wait, I said Lester Crabtree. Uh, Lester Crabtree. And the is three crabs? The, is that one? Oh, okay. Hey, Lester, he's doing pretty good for himself now. I'm sorry. I'm, it took me a second. <laughs> See, all I, could get, all I could get was a response from the third crab. That's right. That's about as good as I do. Alan's the one that's able to pull you these people You got three crabs? You got the three crabs? My doctor gave me medicine in 72. They have an ointment for that now. That waitress got me in so much trouble at the, at the coffee bean there. All right. But um, we decided to, we actually reeled in. Uh, we actually got, uh, got a yes from Coco Dolan's. Uh, after my heart stopped, uh, started beating again, um, last week we spent an hour and a half with her. She was absolutely so gracious. Uh, once we got the Skype issues taken care of. <laughs> uh, Don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, I will apologize up front because if I sound like I'm speaking slower than I normally do, it was because there's, if you, if you, 
do a podcast or you've done anything, sometimes there can be just that little bit of a delay, even even a, even a microsecond or something, and it throws you off. So I'm having to speak very slowly. So uh, we made Coco laugh, which was very good. What does a red light mean? Green means go, so I'm presuming red means stop in this case. It's a, it's a famous episode of Taxi where they're all helping Reverend, Reverend Jim. Ah, oh, you mean Reverend Jim? Hey, you gave me a chance to pull that voice out of... Louie, I love you for that. Thank you so much. We've got to go back in time. Marty. But... Trump's been elected. <laughs> Marty, no. it's worse than I expected. No, no, there's a famous sequence where they're trying to get the Reverend to um, pass his driving test. And he's like, he's taking the written test. What does red light mean? They go, Slow down. What does red mean? And he goes on and on and on. So anyway, I guess Alan hasn't seen that. Most of the audience is yelling it out. I'm not really, I'm not really a taxi fan, and it's simply because I can't stand Danny DeVito. But that's another story. What? Another I thought you were going to say Judd Hirsch. Uh, Judd Hirsch is only only mildly annoying. Hey, oh, oh, hey, oh, there's of course Tony Danza. Hey, oh, hey, who's the boss there? Hey, Adrian. Oh, my gosh, the other guy. Uh, but no, there are a whole legions of not just anti-Tony Danza people, but there's also uh, just incredible, uh, incredible Judd staggering... Hirsch uh, Judd uh, Hirsch, uh, anti-Hirsch people out there. It's incredible. It's just... Uh, I was in the store the other day, and I mentioned him. I almost got, got lynched mm-hmm. uh, by, like, the 12 people at the, the food stores. I saw that on TMZ, by the way. It's incredible. Um, just... I think it's just disturbing, is what I'm trying to say. The anti-Hirsch sentiment, mm-hmm. the uh, the no, anti-Hirschites. That was that, that only came from me after Dear John. I hated that show with a passion. But that's another story for another time. Is another it podcast. of a sexual nature? No. All right. Okay. Okay. Back on track here. It was a Dear okay. John flashback. Okay. Put it. Robin Williams. Oh, oh, oh. Robin Williams. Oh my God. Oh, oh. I gotta focus. But um, the good thing about it is, was we made Coco laugh a number of times. Um, which was very, which which also helps because you know, and I hope that you guys will notice that I don't ask or I try very hard not to ask the same old happy questions, and that is one thing that we will try to strive for here uh, on the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast plug. Um, <laughs> Al has seen the uh, Al has seen the potential questions that I hope to be able to ask the big three someday, and uh, Coco was very impressed. There was a couple that I didn't ask. You mean the three crabs, right? Yes. If we can get, if we can get the three crabs, yes. So have a crab feast, as it were. So. Crab fest. Crab fest. Crab feast. fest seventeen. That's right. But, can you do uh, a promo for crab fest seventeen? No. Don't do it. Don't. Okay. Next time. <laughs> but um, we are we are pleased to present as our very first interview. Uh, this is part one, uh, and we go back to the very beginning. And um, I think some of the questions kind of surprised her. That somebody would want to know that, um, but that's that's the idea is to is to give somebody a chance to talk about different things than it. What was it like growing up as Mickey Dolan's sister? I mean, did you did did people try to did people try to come to you to try to get to him? Did you save any stuff of Mickey's like monkey stuff? Do you have the stuff like the poncho really and the that, wig and the that kind of the, thing? Yeah. So was Mickey's was Mickey was Ricky's Mickey's hair Ricky? Was Mickey's hair really that curly? So that that kind of stuff. So did you, did you ever cut off any hair? Do you still have it? Can I have some? <laughs> what was Davy really like? That's right. Did you have a crush on Davy too? No, that that kind of stuff. You know, the same stuff that uh, hack hack interviewers on television who don't know a damn thing about the group ask the same questions over. There must be a, a monkeys one hundred and one interview question. So that's why Mickey's developed the same pat answers over the time. Is it true your mom invented liquid paper, Coco? 
Yeah. Don't laugh. I actually was in line for a Davy Jones appearance in 94 where the fellow in front of me, while getting an autograph, asked Davy, like, dude, your mom invented, like, liquid paper, right? I hope he looked at I hope he got up and smacked him, but that's another story. He never looked up from his autograph and very calmly, very professionally said, no, mate, that was Mike Nesmith's mom. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Always a professional, always gracious with fans, even those that knew nothing about. Are so stupid you can't fix it with duct tape. Are you the guy that wore, like, the wool toboggan? The toboggan. And if you're not in the South... People call wool hats in the South. Toboggans. Yes, I found out upon moving to this area in the mid-70s, I like the monkeys. I love that guy that wears the toboggan. I'm like, what, what guy has a sled in the monkeys? <laughs> but without further ado, uh, we are proud to present part one of our interview with the incredible Coco Dolans. Actually, there is more ado. Let me set up this interview by discussing some of the things you hear Coco talk about. In this great interview, she mentions her relationship, of course, with her famous brother, Mickey Dolans, and just what made their particular bond so special. She mentions their parents, Mickey being a wonderful big brother, and things like that. She also touches upon her own particular opinions about what made the monkeys work, why it still holds a special place in fans' hearts, and why it's still important today. You'll also hear us make reference to... Coco's wonderful solo album called One Voice. Be sure to look that up. And she also mentions a event coming up in March. There's a wonderful solo show that she's headlining at Feinstein's 54 Below, which is a wonderful eatery slash club slash performance center. And that's in New York City. And uh, Mickey will guest star in that, but pretty much it's Coco's own show. And it's one not to be missed. You're also here at the end of this little interview, part one, of course. Alan mentioned the Columbia story. If you don't know what he's referring to, it's a story about us seeing Coco and Mickey live in Columbia, South Carolina in 2000. You can hear all about that in episode three, which is still available, or go to our Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion blogspot page and even read about it and see pictures from it, pictures you won't see anywhere else. Now, with that ado done... Fresh back from the Australian Monkeys Tour, here's Coco Dolans. We are proud to welcome to the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast as our very first special guest, the one and only Coco Dolans. Coco, it is a thrill, and thank you so much for being our first guest. I am absolutely honored. Long live the Texas Prairie Chicken. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. We we appreciate Love your business. We do. Oh, can you do the whole thing, the buttons and Love is the Ultimate no. Trip? And, okay. Yeah. She hasn't heard the podcast. I know she hasn't. She hasn't had a chance to listen well, to it. She's a busy woman. About the buttons and, and so. she knows what they say. That's right. But uh, before we get into the questions, and I'm glad that you – I'm. I'm presuming that you like them a lot because I did try very hard not to give the same old shtick because I know that must drive you guys crazy. Um, no, but yes. <laughs> okay. I did. I did like your questions. They were out of the ordinary. Thank you so much. Super. Before we get into it, you guys just wrapped up in December uh, the Australian and New Zealand. Uh, leg of the 50th anniversary tour was that your first trip to um down under absolutely 
Yes, it was. And it was marvelous. It was marvelous. I want to go back immediately. Ah, ah, it's on my bucket list. I mean, one day I will see the Sydney Opera House come hell or high water. (laughs) Yes, it, it was really amazing. The cities were all different. The people are amazing. The um, cuisine is amazing. Uh, it was kind of a flash, you know. Uh, it was very quick for us, of course. Sometimes it was fly in the morning, do the show that night, fly out the next day. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get to see a lot of the countryside, but we certainly got to see a lot of the fans and the um, amazing um, 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 people that, that showed up. I mean, it was... Um, it was nice. I mean, we've heard for so long, please come to Australia. And now mm-hmm. we know why, because the turnout was, you know, fantastic. And it was well, great fun everyone. Would you agree with this, that the fan base that the guys have, to me, is probably the most loving and supportive fan base of any musician or group that I've honestly ever seen in, in the 55 years I've appreciated music. Well, I don't know because I don't know what the fan base is for, you know, other musicians, but I do know that the fan base here is absolutely genuine. And um, I think it, I think it leads back to the fact that the time that the show came out and the quality of the show, the quality of the music, everybody needed a touchstone of some fun, you know, reality and fun. It was a very tumultuous time in in the 60s then. And what I hear so much from so many people is it brought me joy. It brought me good times, not to push the album, but it's true. You know, it... I was sitting in my grandmother's house and my parents were fighting and I escaped into the good times, the fun, just uh, good music and good times of, of what they brought. And they still do, you know. And so in that respect, I think that you're right. It It's a very genuine, loving type of audience that it, it's not about... Um, <clears throat> you know, um, well, I, and the music at the time and, and, and henceforth has been, you know, we're, we're you know, um, against this or we're, you know, angry about that. And it wasn't. It was about it was about joy. It was about good things. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. so therefore and that's that's eternal. You know, that's eternal. And the show wasn't about anger and prejudice and all that. It was the opposite. So. In that respect, yeah, they they represented that whole new thought, that whole new paradigm of people getting together, people living together, people being responsible. I mean, all of that. And it's still stuck. I mean, people come to the shows that are our age, my age, your age, you know, and younger up to, you know, little kids singing, I'm a believer, you know, and what's wrong with that? Right. Nothing, and yeah. especially when Mickey <laughs> makes the statement, I did this before Shrek. <laughs> exactly. And Long before Shrek. <laughs> that, when did Shrek. That leads me into the first question. One of the mm-hmm. things that I have really noticed, and in certain aspects, I don't envy very many people or very many things, but the relationship and the dynamic between you and Mickey, 
I know personally lots of brothers and sisters that would kill to have that. Um, what what makes your relationship with Mickey so special and so tight? Hmm. You gonna edit out the dead dead air here while I think? No, that's fine. <laughs> I'll probably be putting in the Jeopardy music theme song from Jeopardy. <laughs> um, I don't really know what makes it so tight. I, I know that as most, probably as most siblings, we had our sibling stuff growing up. You know, mom, get her out of my room, you know, kind of thing. We became better friends, I think, as we got older. Mm -hmm. I think we both acknowledge each other's talent. Um, and uh, appreciate each other's, um, what, uh, appreciate what each other brings to the world. Uh, quite honestly, he's my champion. Um, my father died at a very young age, and Mickey kind of became my you know, male model, you know, my male um, protector, so to speak, yep. uh, which I, you know, he probably doesn't want to hear that, but <laughs> it's kind of true. Oh, he um, just means he's a good big brother. He's a very good big brother. You know, when we were little, not so good. <laughs> sure but that's that just typical, right? But as we've gotten older, um, I've got his back, he's got mine, mm -hmm. you know, and... Um, I think I um, I think he is some, one of the most talented people that I know and that I don't even know. Uh, I think his talent is is far surpassed um, many people, and it has never been totally recognized. I think he's a Renaissance man. I have great admiration for him. I have great um, appreciation of him, and um, whether that makes us tight, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I love him in spite of. I think he loves me in spite of. Okay, but I can't speak for him. I don't. I don't know. No. But from my standpoint, that's what makes us tight. Is that he? He is. Um, he's got my back. Yeah, and I, he's I, given I, me an He's given me an opportunity to sing these last, you know, however many years, and continues to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, doing a thing in, in uh, New York in March. I haven't ever been a great marketer of myself and Mickey is, is constantly kind of helping me with that. So that is, that's huge, you know, and, and we have our, you know, little rivalries about who's better and, you know, and, and I have no doubt that he is one of the greatest rock and roll singers of the century. So. Absolutely. Can you hear me at all right now? I can't hear me right now. <laughs> I can kind of hear you. How about now? Is this any better? No, but go ahead. I can kind is of. Is this any better? This is worse for you, isn't it? It's more no, echoey it's for me, but mm. I'm used I, to I your can voice. Hear anyway, I just wanted to chime in and say I think um, the the vocals that you added in the Risa Monkeys uh, concerts were really amazing and added a great deal, and it made you, you kind of rethink about those songs in a new way. Mm, thank you. Nice. But we, we we worked pretty hard on that. You know, Mickey's Mickey's vision has always been to try to reproduce the original songs the way they are on the records. Uh, nobody wants to come listen to 
last train to Clarksville as a, you know, reggae piece, <laughs> you know, and that I think is also the, the key to his brilliance is that when people come to a concert, they want to hear Clarksville. They want to be, they want to be reunited with the feeling they had when it first came out and where they were, what they were doing, you know, their life at the time and the brilliance of the songs. I mean, the songs live for themselves, right? They, they don't need anything else. They are all incredibly priceless. And Mickey has always said that, you know, without the songwriters, you know, what would he be doing? But um, we, we hold, and I'm like that too with my own personal career. Um, I don't write a lot of songs, but I find songs that the message and the song is something I want to share with people. And I don't need to change it. You know, this is the story. This is what I want to tell people. And Mickey is very, very adamant about that, that let's, let's get the vocals the same. Let's, let's reproduce that feeling, that sound for everyone. And that's what we've tried to do. And plus the fact that I sound exactly like him usually. I get to do his doubles and his, you know, harmonies, and it sounds like the record, you know. Well, that gives me the opportunity, since you brought up your own personal, to, to, I'll jump ahead in the questions a little bit. The first thing, um, you got to open for Denny Lane at the 40th anniversary of Wings Over America. Talk a little bit about how you felt doing that and what it was like. Uh, it was wonderful. I mean, I hadn't really met Denny um, too much prior to that. We had done a uh, charity event in L.A., for Chad Stewart, one of Chad and Jeremy. Mm -hmm. Okay, Chad's stepson had gone through a horrendous um, surgical procedure, and they were raising funds. And through a gentleman uh, named Keith Putney, <clears throat> I had been asked to, you know, sing at the cha at the charity event to raise money. I said, absolutely, of course. And I think that's where I met Denny. Um, but anyway. Um, uh, anyway, so through that connection, I was asked to, you know, come and open for him at this place in the um, San Fernando Valley called Bogies. And, of course, his work with Paul uh, McCartney. I don't know Paul personally, but, you know, Sir McCartney. Um, and getting to know him and his, you know, body of work was very exciting. And it was also exciting for me because it was the first time that I had ventured kind of out on my own uh, in a long time to do what I do, you know, um, <laughs> at the charity event, someone laughingly, I went to do a song and someone said, Oh, well, I, you know, I'm a believer. And I kind of jokingly said, not this time. <laughs> Cause that, you know, I, I have done that. Well, and it's like, you know, I do have like Mickey always says, I did have a life before the monkeys. And so did I, <laughs> you know, and hence, you know, so it was very exciting, and Denny is a fabulous guy and a wonderful musician. And, of course, the work that he did with Wings and everything was amazing. So the night was magical. You know, I got to do about 20 or 30 minutes with these fabulous musicians, and then he went ahead and did his thing, and uh, I'm looking to do more. In fact, I'm talking to Keith about doing some more things out here um, as we speak. That's great. I heard... Yeah. I think I read that you do a marvelous version of uh, Somebody to Love, the Jefferson Airplane hit. 
Um, actually, I haven't done that one yet, but it's White Rabbit that I do. Oh, White Rabbit. I knew it was one yeah. or the other. I couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's White Rabbit. I started doing that with Mickey's solo show because we were just looking for more songs that were, you know, indicative of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we do White Rabbit and the guys, uh, Mickey's band, you know, um, just nail it. And it's a powerful song, as you know. And yeah, that's kind of fun. That's a, that's a fun song to do. I hope to hear it one day. So when we'll get to hopefully we can get you somewhere close to North Carolina again. So we can, I'd love to hear it. Ah, cool. That brings to me, uh, and I'm going to jump, as I said, jump ahead a little bit. I have I, I found three songs from One Voice that are on YouTube. Wow. Talk a little bit about this album. This is your your, your own little baby. And I'll give you a chance to, to talk about it and plug it a little bit, and we'll see what we can do about uh, uh, maybe playing one or two of those cuts on the show. Wow. Um, I did that in, oh, my gosh, um, 19 – I don't even remember. Probably 87 or 88, somewhere along in is there. That, is that when it was? Oh, I believe – that or 89, I think, maybe. I don't even remember. Um, it was a lot of songs that I had been do- doing in my father, my stepfather's church. He was a minister of religious science, which is now called Centers for Spiritual Living. And I was very involved there and worked there. And I would sing at church. I would sing at different um, away, um, different um, places. Uh, Wayne Dyer, I'm not sure if you are aware of him, but uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Wayne Dyer, we would have him come at different uh, seminars and things. And I basically would sing at these gatherings that were um, kind of spiritual seminars, workshops and things. Wayne Dyer, Melody Beattie, uh, just different people. And they were songs that uh, kind of inspired people and had a nice message, an uplifting message, which was kind of my musical ministry, as it were. And I still enjoy doing those songs. So at one point, someone said, well, you have to record these all. I went, oh, okay, oh, we'll do that. So I did. And... Uh, they were things like The Greatest Love of All and One Voice, as you said. Um, it's Not Easy Being Green. I'm trying to remember all the songs that were on there. Um, Dare to Dream, which is a song that was written by some gentleman in Southern California, um, which actually Jill Richards, a lovely lady that I know who is a fan, had created a, a video about um, Dare to Dream, and she had put taken the song and put it with some video from the Special Olympics. Wow. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. And just to this day, when I watch it, it makes chokes me up. It was amazing. And yeah. I think she also, uh, I know i know she did, she also took the soundtrack to One Voice and put it to um, video of whales uh, swimming in the water with their babies and stuff. So... Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff, which I still um, love doing, and that's where One Voice came from. It was like uh, my first CD that I that I produced, and like I said, mostly it was songs that I had done in uh, venues of of um, you know with with audiences that were there for uplifting moments, <laughs> so to speak. Well. If I remember R- Mickey's biography right, yeah. this takes you guys. You guys have been performing together from a very early age, right? Yes. 
what kind of stuff did you do during those during those early performances? The the true PMS pre monkey sing, singing. Well, that would that would have been more uh, just folk music. When we'd go to the beach and and sing with his guitar and me, or at parties or whatever, it would be it would have been more like um, uh, New Christie minstrels. It would have been folk music, you know, more like Peter's genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been you know um, Peter Paul and Mary. It would have been New Christie minstrels. It would have been Brothers Four, uh, Kingston Trio, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, Would you really be surprised cool. if I told you I had two Kingston Trio songs on my playlist in my phone? Sweet. Good stuff. A yeah. couple Good of stuff. the uh, more unusual songs. Uh, uh, I guess it's a, an, a, an old native song called Oken, uh, Okenkara and then uh, the Koplas, which is, which is kind of a talking song. It always cracked me up. So. Don't know that one. Yeah. But that's that's what we kind kind of cut our teeth on um, that and uh, uh, you know kind of rhythm and blues kind of things. Now, did your uh, did your folks both encourage you to um, to explore these talents or were they, and, and I'm sure they were very supportive. But uh, what kind of encouragement did they give you? Hmm, I'm not sure if it was encouragement as much as that it was just understood that that's what we do. Uh, my mother sang, my father sang, we both sang, you know, it's like when you're in the car, you sing, you know, you just, um, we were always singing uh, and, and doing stuff. I, I, I'm not sure that it was encouraged, like, go out and get a career. For Mickey, it was, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, my father made sure that he had a, a screen test, and that's how he did some stuff when he was early on and got Circus Boy. And then my mother went ahead and uh, was with him you know, all the time that he um, filmed Circus Boy, film, not video, but mm-hmm. filmed <laughs> Circus Boy. And I was on a couple of those just as a, you know, she's there and okay, fine. But um, <laughs> I just did a couple. Oh, yeah, it's just my kid sister, Bimbo. Don't worry about her. Yeah, basically. It's like, let's 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 give her a shot. You know, I, I, whatever. And I was on my dad's show once, the Count of Monte Cristo in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But it was more like, you know, just give her a shot. Um, I don't know that it was really encouraged. It's just that my mother had been an actress and singer and my dad was, of course, he was also a restaurateur, which is really his, his great, um, 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 his great, um, claim to fame, so to speak. Well, yeah, his love and the marquee in Hollywood. Um, so I don't know that it was really, you know. Uh, encourage that much especially with me because i was a girl <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and it's a it's a hard row you know that's a hard row to to hoe well it's funny because it was your dad that in uh what's the right word indirectly uh gave mickey and i the chance to be those email buddies for a year because when they oh. came through in 96 i had given him a videotape of a one of these old uh, cliffhanger serials that was the first film that your dad had done after Mickey was born. Hmm. So I handed it to him and I said, this is something your father did right after you're born. He says, well, it was the star of the serial. He said, that's not my dad. I flip it over. And I said, no, but that's it. That is. Oh, wow. He'd never what known that. It? I'm I'm sure he watched it, but that was, that was your dad actually indirectly brought he and I together as, uh, wow. as buddies for that year. So, Wow. 
Now that's a nice story. It is. I, I it's one of my favorites, other than Columbia. <laughs> so Columbia is my favorite. And that wraps up part one of our interview with Coco. Uh, join us in episode number six as we continue the interview. And believe me, um, we've We're got as surprised as you are. That's right. It's like, how did those third grade schlumps end up landing her? I don't know. I don't know, Mr. Cram. <laughs> But uh, uh, we're also going to have a very special, we talk about Coco's solo album, and we're going to have a very special cut from that on the next episode. So um, that just about wraps up another laugh-filled, fun-fest, Texas Prairie Chicken Monkey's Home Companion podcast. Uh, anything else you'd like to add over there, Philo? What is that? Was that Raymond Burr? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just add this final facet to this we will hunker down like a jackass in a hailstorm. No, I have nothing to say except 142 plaid. <laughs> as always, this that is That was Al- for you, Dale. Uh, as always, this is Alan Lester Cram Williams. And this is Al Philo Bigley. And at this point, I would like to stake the following. The Texas Prairie Chicken Monkeys... Uh, Texas... At this point, I would like to state the following. The Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast is a podcast strictly for entertainment purposes made for Monkeys fans by Monkeys fans. Al Bigley and Alan Williams have no affiliation with Michael Nesmith, Mickey Dolans, Peter Tork, the estate of the late David Jones, the Monkeys, Rhino Records, Arista Records, Columbia, Andrew Sandoval, Bobby Hart, Tommy Boyce, anyone uh, and their families, anyone who has any connection with the Monkeys whatsoever. And you can probably tell that just by listening to any of these episodes. That's right. Um, be sure to check out the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast uh, Facebook page. Uh, 280 people have liked it so far. We'd like to see that jump to about 28 million, but that's, you know, we, we, we take what we can get. Who do you think you are, Ken Mills? That's right. Oh, that's right, the pod, the, the, the pod father. The pod father. As always, we throw a shout-out to Ken Mills, the pod father, uh, the uh, purveyor of the incredible Zilch Monkeys Podcast. He is of almost immeasurable help. Uh, not just to myself and Alan, but to many other podcasters. He gives he gives himself so freely. He does indeed, and he gives and he gives in a way not seen since probably what Larry Flint, maybe or uh, John Boy and Billy. That's a Southern reference. They give, 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 and never take. And one of them wears a toboggan when the weather's fitting for <laughs> such attire. The yeah. green, the guy in the green toboggan's always like crack me up. He just tickles me no end. You can also find us on uh, not only Facebook, but blogspot.com, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Uh, podcasts 1, 2, 3, and 4 are still out there. We, you, know, you should go check out Podcast 4, uh, the 100 and some odd that have done so so far. We greatly appreciate it. You can download them and listen to them any darn time you want. Darn straight, Skippy. Um, I'd also like to put in another plug for my uh my podcast partner in crime, his website. He is a graphic artist and a comic book artist extraordinaire. That's www.albigley.com. Go check out his work. Thank you for that. And as always, we remind you, until next time, remember to save the Texas Prairie Chicken. Chicken.